Turn with me tonight, John 15. We'll continue to work our way uh, through that. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of learning. I, I think I've read in the epistles and studied in the epistles so much so that uh, John's language is is harder for me to get my mind around. So I'm, I'm kind. I think I'm starting to adjust to John's language a little bit. Uh, but some of the passages. They sound so repetitive, you wonder, you read them at first glance and you think, well, you just kind of get lost because he sounds like he's repeating himself in different ways, but there there are nuances that he brings out uh, that are just really uh, fascinating. And one of the conclusions I drew uh, from verses 9, I really backed up to 9, but primarily 12 through 17, but 9 through 17 uh, was was the emphasis he's making uh, as he records the words of Christ as he's the emphasis he puts upon love and obedience. Uh, sometimes it seems to me, judging by my own inclinations, is that I can love and while obedience is important, it, it, it's, it's optional. <laughs> you know, I'm saying I, I gotta fight this battle and obey. Uh, John links those two together I mean, without any division. Uh, John speaks of love as though it is obedient, uh, and it's not optional obedience. It doesn't just provide for your obedience, uh, and, and you t- have options as to whether or not you're going to obey. You, he just doesn't see love in disobedience. If it's disobedience, then love is not perfected. And so it's just really fascinating how strongly he makes that connection and and it's these passages, I think, demonstrate that Jesus is loving his disciples and commanding them to love one another, uh, rooted in the love of the Father for the Son, and of course the Son for the Father. <clears throat> uh, I began uh, kind of with this statement, our identity as Christ's disciples uh, is demonstrated to the world by the nature of our love for one another. Not just that we love one another, but we love one another in a very unique, peculiar way. Uh, and he's going, really he's kind of unfolding because if you remember back in John chapter 13, uh, verses 31 or 32 through 34 or 35, uh, Jesus is speaking about this love, particularly in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So uh, I spent some time kind of trying to unpack that, what, that's a very unique kind of love. You're to love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 35, uh, he says in that verse, by this, by this kind of love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he kind of picks that back up in chapter 15, and he's already talked about uh, in 14, working through there, t- uh, as I've already shared Father, Son, and Spirit are at work there. The way, the truth, and the life are on display there. But at the end of, uh, or verse 9 in chapter 15, let's just read that. We'll come back to these. Uh, just as the Father, here he says it again, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Let me just say here, when he tells us this, he uses himself as an example. Abide in my love, 
just as I abided in the Father's love. And you catch, the, catch that, uh, that laying those two things out side by side each time. Uh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This command, this I command you that you love one another. So it's really interesting, but John's recording of, of linking love with obedience, you'll see that if you, if you take notes, uh, just write these down. You see it, John 14, 15, 21, 23 through 25. And then 31, and then, then this passage, John 15, 9 through 10, or 9 and 10, and then verse 12. So in every one of those passages, he's linking love and obedience. In fact, you get the conclusion that John don't believe you can separate those two things. There's no such thing as love and, and rebellion or love and rejection or disobedience. So he's tying those two closely. And I think foundational to this, to true discipleship, he says here, the father's, this is my statement, the father's love for the son is manifest, according to what we read here, in his showing the son all things which the father himself is doing. You see that in John chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. So the Father's love for the Son is manifest and in his showing, among other things obviously, is in his showing the Son all things which he, the Father, is doing. Uh, interestingly enough, the son's love for the father is manifested in his unwavering obedience to all that the father has commanded him. You see that again in John 14, uh, verse 31. At the very end of that chapter here, he says, But so that the world may know what? That I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. Get up and let us go from here. So you see these two things laid out. In other words, the Father's love for the Son is manifested in His showing the Son all that He is doing, the Father's doing, and the Son's love for the Father is manifested in His unwavering obedience to all that the Father has shown Him or has commanded Him. And so there's a Father loves the Son, and the Son responds or, or reciprocates the love to the Father by, by obeying what the Father has told him to do or have commanded him to do or has shown him. I thought it was interesting as I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of Paul in Philippians. 
Listen, listen carefully to what he says, Philippians chapter 2. We always concentrate on have this attitude in yourself which was in Christ Jesus. But before he's, he posits the attitude of Christ as somehow directing something gone before. So what is it that he's wanting them to have that attitude for? Obviously there was suffering. They were facing some suffering. In fact, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experience the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now listen what Paul says here. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction or affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Here's the oneness. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one person or purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of me mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Then he says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And notice here uh, what he says about this attitude of Jesus. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Excuse me, I left verse 6 out. He existed in the form of God but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And pick back up in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Notice that, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name, the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what I'm getting there is that Paul speaking in those introductory remarks is, is encouraging them towards these things. Uh, he exhorts them to encouragement just to list them off. His exhortation to them is of encouragement, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, uh, affection and compassion, unity of mind, unity of love, unity of spirit and purpose. Then he cites the obedience of Christ as exemplary and foundational to that encouragement, especially in the suffering that they were uh, dealing with there. Notice as well, Philippians 2, uh, 14 through 16, he goes on there after making that exhortation. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, with the attitude that he's just described, with the consolation of love and all the other things, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, comma, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So I, I hope you see the connection I'm making there. Uh, Paul, Jesus is tying very close to the idea of love and obedience. And Paul, in, in his exhortation uh, to the encouragement and the love and the, and the, and the, the suffering in the midst of, 
or, or the patience in the midst of suffering that would identify them as children of God was rooted in this love. And then he inserts here the attitude of Christ, who was what? Primarily, he says here, obedient. Obedient unto death. Had every right to exercise his privilege as God, but set, yet set aside that, that privilege and took upon himself to serve the, the role of a servant. And was obedient to the Father. And through that obedience, even to the death of the cross, God has highly exalted him. So, so Paul is using Christ and his obedience as an example uh, for, his, for the Philippians to be encouraged in their suffering through the same means, through this obedience. And then when you tie that into what John is saying here, particularly in other places, here's my conclusion with that. And I'll look at these passages, but God's love for us is demonstrated in the command, love one another, and the obedience of the Son by which we are made able to obey. Our love for God is demonstrated by our obedience to love one another with that divinely enabled and otherworldly love. Jesus loves us as the Father loved him. And that was interesting. So you look at this passage. Uh, one of the interesting things as well is when he says, you are my friends. And then verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. And I kept thinking about how often Paul identifies himself as a bondservant, a slave. And so Jesus is establishing something here uh, pretty important, uh, I think, and I'll share that with you in a moment. But he says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have love you. Now, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I've heard that all my life uh, to be pressing us that that's how you gauge true love. If I lay down my life for you, that's demonstrative of the highest love that I can display. And that's true. Uh, in fact, I think he's exhorting to that kind of love, but he's not talking about, he's not so much saying you ought to lay down your life. He's really forecasting that I'm about to lay down my life. And that's why immediately after that, he says to them, uh, that's, that's why I'm calling you friends. <laughs> no, no greater love hath a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So he's pointing towards what he's about to be doing, laying down his life. And then he says to them, verse 14, you are my friends. That means I'm the one laying down my life if I hold with his example. You are my friends through the laying down of my life. And then he attaches this obedience to that. If in fact you obey as I command or do you do what I command. So you see those two things linked there. I'm dying. I'm, I'm making you my friend now. And your friendship with me through my death will be evident in your obedience to all that I command you to do. John doesn't separate those things. Let me just drive this home. If you say you love Christ and you walk in disobedience, you do not love Christ or you are not loving Christ. Now, that doesn't mean if you ever if you ever in the flesh disobey the commands of Christ that you don't love Christ. But it does mean that your love for Christ has not been perfected. You're not being set apart by the love of Christ unto full obedience. And that's the that's what sanctification is. And this idea that obedience to his commands is optional for us, uh, to me, 
under, undermines what John is trying to connect here, the love of Christ and obedience. And Christ himself is the example of that to perfection in that he obeyed the Father. Everything, everything the Father commanded or revealed to him as his purpose in this world. So I was looking at this. I was thinking about, and there are many other ways, but what are some ways the Father loves the Son? Well, number one is by sacrifice. By sacrifice. And you might say, well, Jesus sacrificed, but how does the Father's love for him, what is the Father's sacrifice? Well, John 3, 16, we all know it well. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into the world that the world, uh, that whosoever believes in him might be saved, might not perish, but have eternal life. So the father's sacrifice is that he's sending his beloved son into the world for sin, to die for sin. So the father is sacrificing as it is his own son. Read Isaiah 53. He loves him as well. Uh, another quotation there would be Acts 4, 27 through 28 where they assigned directly to the Father's hand and His providence what they were doing to Christ. So the Father gives up, as it were, His Son. He sacrifices the Son. The Father loves the Son by giving Him the words to speak. As I've already mentioned, John 14, verses 10, verse 10 and verse 24. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but my Father abiding in me does his work. So he says words and the Father abiding in me does his works. And then verse 24, he who does not love, he who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which I, you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So, so that seems to be tied up in Jesus thinking here in his mind is that the words that I'm giving you, the Father gives me the words because he loves me. And I'm giving you his words because I love you essentially. And I'll get to that in a moment. But to me, this is one of the manifestations of the Father's love for the Son is that the Father gives the Son the words to say. And he says here, the works as well. In John 14, 10 and 11, as I've already quoted, the Father loves the Son by showing Him the works He is doing. Notice as well in John chapter 5, uh, verse 19 and 20. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. Uh, I mentioned recently in Henry Blackaby's uh, study, I remember uh, that's how we join God where he's working. We see where he's working and we join him where he's working. And this is one of the passages he drew that from as well. But the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does. And then John uh, in verse 20 as well. For the father loves the son. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. So at least in those three areas, just from the Gospel of John primarily, those are ways that are expressed that the Father loves the Son. He loves Him by sacrifice. 
He loves him by giving him the words to share or to speak, and he loves him by showing him the works that he's doing. Now, if you want to talk about the fullness and the perfection of the father's love for the son and the son's love for the father, think about how clear Jesus was. I mean, I have sometimes I have spent an hour contemplating what it must be like to walk without sin in perfect fellowship with the Father. Always. There was nothing to hinder his fellowship with the Father. And the Father established this love and Jesus experienced that love and that the Father was communicating or saying to him, these are the words that I want you to speak. And Jesus heard them so perfectly and clearly that he didn't ad lib along the way. These are the words of the Father. And when he performed his miracles and he did his works, these are the works the Father is doing. The Father shows him the work that he's doing. Jesus is not arbitrarily on a whim calming the sea. The Father showed him the works and he obeyed the Father in commanding the seas to be calm and from raising the dead and every other act that Jesus produced as we call miracles Jesus is seeing the father's work and obeying the father and proclaiming or speaking the words to bring that motion or that work into 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 being so you see that dynamic playing out between the father's love for the son and the son's obedience demonstrating his love for the father And that's what strikes me about this passage because Jesus is saying that something about that dynamic is to be happening in your life and in our relationship. So I'd use the same idea. So the son loves his disciples as the father loves him. So the son loves his disciples by sacrifice. You are... Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus has already established that he's going to the cross. So Jesus, Jesus communicates his love for his disciples by laying down his life, just like the father. The father sacrifices the son as a demonstration of his love for the son. And the son sacrifices himself for his disciples in demonstration of his love for his disciples. And through him, the father's love. I mean, he's following, he's following a pattern with us as the Father demonstrated to him. Secondly, he's showing his love for his disciples in give, by giving us his word. His word. John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And, when you, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered and said, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. This is, this is why I think he shifts now to friends. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain. So then, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you 
heard from your father. So the word that he gives his disciples as a manifestation of his love for his disciples is the word of the father. The father loves him and gives him the words and he loves us and gives us the words. But they're the Father's Word. They're, it is the Word of God. So Jesus is loving His disciples in the very same way that the Father has loved Him. And He says that over and over. Just as I have loved you, just as love one another, just as the Father has loved me, so, that, so I have loved you. So He's tying all these things together. And then finally in John 14, 21 and also verses 25 and 26, Jesus shows his love by the works that he does or showing us the works of the Father. In John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. And then if you look in verse 25 through 26, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, what? All that I said to you. <laughs> peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In verse 31, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up and let us go from here. And that, that idea, I think, is what Jesus is commenting on when he, makes the idea, when he makes the statement, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer, he says, do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends through my death because through this, for all things that I have heard from my father, I make known to you. You're my friend. <laughs> Yes, you are a slave in the sense, and Paul is absolutely right to call himself a bondservant of Christ, but Jesus is making the emphasis here of friendship over slavery because the slave doesn't know what his master is doing in all aspects. Jesus says, you are my friends because I am making known to you all that the Father has made known to me. That's huge. That's huge. That's a, that's a distinction. He says, I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And then he tells them, by the way, I was reading this passage and I was thinking, by extension, there's an application to us, but there seems to be almost a specific application for the apostles here. And I think this picks up on that. It is true through election that he chooses us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And our choice of him was the reciprocal work of the Holy Spirit in his choosing us. But I think he may be speaking specifically of the apostles here. I chose you. I came to you and called you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And then he closes again, this I command you, that you love one another. So here's, here's what I'm gleaning from that. The Father loves the Son. And the son loves his disciples as the father has loved him by sacrifice, by bringing them the word of God, by bringing them the works of God. And the disciples are to mirror that in some way in the way that we love one another. There's where the, trans, the transference of that laying down your life principle comes. How do we love one another? Well, we love first and all by, first of all, mostly by sacrifice. 
And that's, that could be laying down your life or that could be doing like Philippians 2 and set aside your privilege for the moment. In other words, that could be being patient, being long-suffering. That could be sacrificing my impulse to correct you or to straighten your life out. That could be manifested in a million ways of sacrifice. But the essential nature of the love of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ will reflect sacrifice because that's what the Son did and that's what the Father produced in the Son was this sacrifice. So if we say that we love one another and there's no sacrificial nature to that at all, it is not the love of Christ and it is not the love of the Father and therefore it is not unique to the body of Christ. The world doesn't sacrifice much. Even if it does sacrifice something, it's usually in its own self-interest. But the body of Christ prefers others, as Paul said, above themselves. They lay down their lives for their friends, as it were, or their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the mark of the love that is to be setting us apart as the body of Christ. It's sacrificial. But I think amongst us as well, there is the love that communicates the word of God to one another. Paul says we're to be encouraging one another with the word of God. The word of God. We speak the word of God to one another. We don't deceive others. We don't deceive ourselves. We look into the word of God and by the spirit we bring understanding of the word of God. And when we encourage one another and interact and and serve as sanctifying instruments in each other's life, it is rooted in speaking the word of God. Do you think about this sometimes? You know what the main subject matter should be among the brethren? The Word of God. That doesn't mean I can't talk about the fishing trip I had or, or the work I did today or, or things like that. But the overwhelming ground of our conversations and our fellowship should be the Word of God. Why? Because that's how Jesus showed His love by bringing us the Word of God. And the Father showed His love for the Son by giving Him the Word of God in His humanity, in His human flesh, by revealing to Him God's words without without obscurity. So how can we fulfill this love? Because He says over and over, love one another just as I have loved you. And just as the Father has loved me, I've loved you, so love one another in the same way that I loved you. Which translates to the same way the Father loves Him. By sacrifice, by bringing the Word. Do you realize there is nothing more profound and potentially effectual in the life of one another more than the Word of God? The Word of God. So that should be a mark of our fellowship together, of our loving one another. And then as following the same pattern, we love one another by showing the work of God in our own lives and in our interaction with others. You know, what's remarkable to me about biblical forgiveness is that it is unique It is the refusal to demand justice for yourself when wounded or when harmed or hurt by someone else. It is is the decision to transfer whatever justice is due in that moment to the Father. Uh, What is it? I lost the word. Justice. 
or recompense is mine, saith the Lord. So we transfer that right to the Father. And we forgive. We, we don't act upon that right for justice. And it is our hope as a believer that that one who wounded us, that God's justice will be finally having been poured out upon the Christ, uh, Christ on their behalf so that they might trust in Him and that that judgment might be taken away from them upon Christ. And that true forgiveness ought to pray that that's the case in the life of the one who wounded you. It is not forgiveness if you shift it over into the hands of God and say, get him, God. I, don't, I question whether or not you forgave him. Because what you're wanting is vindication and you're just wanting God to do it for you. God will vindicate his righteousness and his justice someday. But the works of God in our lives are to forgive in the way that Christ forgives. By the same power, I might add. With the same confidence, I might add. I've never forgiven anyone and, and thought in my mind that they're off the hook. In fact, I tremble in the fact that no matter what I do, they're on the hook. Because there is a God who is just. If I wanted to seek my revenge, I could only exact so much. At the most, I could just kill them. But what justice is that? So when I shift that to him, I'm not letting anyone off the hook. I'm saying that the Father is wiser than I, and he is merciful, extraordinarily merciful, in that I myself have been saved and forgiven. And oh God, would you grant that in their lives? Would you bring them to Christ, and that Christ might illuminate all the sins in their lives, and that they might find forgiveness in him, so that their justice that's due them would be landing upon Christ in their behalf. So that's how we love one another. By forgiving one another. By demonstrating the works of God among one another. And I think, I think that primarily in our relating is forgiveness, but I'm not, I'm not isolating it to that. It could be manifesting the truths of God's Word as we see examples of how God works in the lives of folks. Then we interact with one another on the same basis. It might simply be faith. It might simply be trusting God. Let the works of God providing strong and foundational faith, holding fast to Him in troubling times and trying times be a, be a, a dynamic among which we, or with, it, with which we fellowship. And the reason I think that is important, and Jesus says earlier in chapter four, 13, or 14, 13, but He says, this is the way people will know you, my, my disciples, if you love one another as I have loved you and as the Father has loved me. That's what makes us, identifies us as disciples. It brings confidence in our own lives as we gather together and we see that kind of love working out in our presence. But when the world sees that, that is peculiar. That is not like the world. And the world has to give an answer for where that comes from. We can tell them. We can give an answer, but they are unsettled that there are people who are believing things that they don't believe, and they are demonstrating that there's something powerful and real in the believing. It's changing their lives. Now, here's the application for us individually, I think. What sacrifices have you made this week for the sake of the love of Christ in your own lives? For the sake of you having been a recipient of the love of Christ. What sacrifices have you made? 
Secondly, is how have you brought the Word of God to bear in your fellowship, whether it be in the smaller groups of your family or wider or even in this church family or among other Christians outside this local gathering of believers, how have you brought the word to bear in your relationships? Have you been dismissive of it? Have you been indifferent to it? Or has it driven the way you think about those relationships, how you act within those relationships? Is the Word of God being brought to bear in your relationships this week? And in the third one, how have you shown the works of God in your life in this week? Uh, I remember thinking years ago uh, about folks that we suspect, and you all know some, I think, maybe, you suspect that they sat under the preaching of the word and in the fellowship of the church for 40 years or more sometimes. But when you talk to them, they have a very rudimentary, superficial grasp of the great glories and truths of God's word. And I've, I've had those occasions sometimes, and I remember thinking to myself and just praying, Lord, don't let me don't let me get comfortable somewhere in this life to the place that I am indifferent to the power of your word to transform me to the image of Christ. Uh, I've often thought, I wonder if that was not uh, what happened in Enoch's life. You remember the Old Testament saint, Enoch walked with God. He was not. I mean, it's almost as if the implication is here's a man who walked in such fellowship with God that when it came time for him to depart this world, there was not such a significant trans uh, transference enough or translation enough for them to even mark it by death. He's walked with God and he was not. He didn't say he walked with God and one day he died and finally he came into the fullness of the presence of God. That's true, but the author records it as he walked with God and he was not. Seems like he just sort of moseyed right on into the presence of God because he spent a lifetime living, loving God and relating to God and manifesting that in his life and not, not ever resting in that he had a grasp of enough of the glory of God to sustain him for life. He was always seeking God. And I think that ought to be reflective of our life. So if you don't get anything else tonight, please get this. There is a reason why love and obedience are connected the way they are. And when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's saying it because he loves the Father and he kept his word. And he's saying, the Father loved me and revealed to me his word, and I loved him and told you the words, and I loved you and told you the words. So the word of God, the relationship of the Father and Son, the love uh, and the obedience being manifest in that relationship is, uh, is exactly what Jesus is saying should be manifest in our relationship with him. In other words, he is in a very real way, not only our example of what it is to love and to obey the Father, but He is also the means by which we are made able to do it. And that's extraordinary. I mean, that's the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So, so let's love one another. Let's love one another. And that's challenging, isn't it? It's going to be real challenging when it costs you something uh, and when it 
proves to be an inconvenience. That's when, that's when we, we need to be reminded of how the Father loves Christ and how Christ has loved us. Because there's no sacrifice that he didn't make uh, to communicate his love for us. And so we have to ask, are we prepared to do that for one another? And if not, then Lord, do the work in my heart that would bring me to the place to where I genuinely, genuinely prefer others above myself. That's a, I don't know about you, but that's just a really liberating thought to me. Can you imagine living life where you weren't the priority and how liberating that would be? I mean, just look around. Everybody's better than me. And more worthy of my adoration and my admiration and my affections. I'm the least on this scale. I'm the one needful, least needful for these things. Let me extend them to others. Immediately, you become a vessel and an instrument of the mercy of God. And I think you find life in that. We're afraid that that's going to cause death in some way, but that's where we find life. Because then the Spirit of God is, is operating through us, and we, we find ourselves invigorated in Christ being getting the honor. So extraordinary love. Stand with me. Let's be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your works, each of these in our individual lives and in our corporate lives, universally as the body of Christ, but Father, locally as a gathering of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that when we hear the command from this day forward that we ought to love one another, we immediately tie it to the things that John is recording here. Lord, I know in my own heart that'll be a challenge. We'll love folks to an extraordinary degree, but Lord, there still seems often to be in our hearts some sort of self-preference. We'll love them a long ways, but when push comes to shove and life and death are at stake, we would find that we would probably withdraw. Lord, we want to love as Christ loved us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those who've gathered tonight as well, Lord. It's just such a blessing to gather among the body of Christ for believers who were in like pursuit of you. Grant your grace that we might see you more clearly. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake and glory.